you're wearing 80s headphones and I've got a professional level microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Stories Podcast, your number one show for everything guitar. Hello, guitar geeks. Hey, everybody. This is Dan. And this is Andy. And I always think that you're talking to me when you say guitar geeks. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the plural, not the singular. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you don't know how many of me there are in this head. So. Yeah. Well, obviously, there can just be one guitar geek. Of course. <laughs> Actually, there is more than one if you look on YouTube. There's more than one. It's just I seem to have the one with the biggest mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right so how are you lately everything all right i'm good i am um recovering from post nam whatever that's called post nam lethargy and i'm having a good time getting back in my studio begin back to play guitars um looking forward to what 2020 has to offer for us guitar players and already there's been quite a lot of um announcements which i hope we're going to cover uh this week oh yeah Looking forward to that. What about you, Dan? Um, we had a big news meeting. Thanks for the invitation, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was dealer centric, so yeah. No offense. Yeah, I'll I'll make up for that at some point. Good, good, good to um, know. What else? What else? I played a little bit. I tried to play a little bit Polyphia songs, but it's kind of hard, and my fingers always get twisted. Mm -hmm. um, well, what song did you play lately? I was playing some just some disco with a wah pedal. So not real songs, but I was getting funky and working on my right hand because my right hand has got lazy. So my right hand has always been particularly good with with rhythm and my downstroke's pretty good, like in a sort of Green Day, sort of Billy Joe Armstrong style. But recently I've noticed that it's got lazy and maybe I'm getting old, but it's just not responding the way I want. So I thought, I know, I'll get the wah pedal, get a strat and uh, get my funk and disco on. So I've been doing that and dancing around the studio. It's been great fun. <laughs> awesome, awesome. That's I find it quite interesting um, that somehow one loses technique if if you don't practice regularly. But it's not like on an equal level. You just lose like certain yeah. bits and pieces of your playing. Yeah, it's always for me. I I liken it to like an RPG game where you have to choose: do you want to be stronger or do you want to be faster? You know, when you when you're playing these games and you get coins and stuff. Or you yeah, could you yeah. could have magic spells, and then you have all these different strengths. And for me, that's the same with guitar playing. If I'm working on the right hand, then I guarantee next week, my left hand will be like falling to pieces. Oh man, I can never. You know, practice is an ongoing thing, and learning is is happening forever. Yeah, absolutely. So this this who's, your, who's the end boss in that RPG game? Uh, probably Paul Gilbert, I'd say. <laughs> okay, but he's a he's a nice end boss, where he actually helps you. Yeah. <laughs> you can have a party with that impulse that's nice oh actually it might be Arnold Schwarzenegger I've been doing a lot of um, listening to his speeches recently oh wow yeah he's my he's my guru at the moment that is deep Andy that is deep he is um, he's got the six secrets to success and that is awesome so aside from guitars and aside from bodybuilding um, <laughs> listen to the Arnold Schwarzenegger six secrets to success and um, yeah. it's really really quite inspiring and don't be surprised if Andy is gaining a lot of muscle 
in the next couple of weeks because he's so inspired by Arnold. Mm-hmm. No, just I'm I'm just kidding. Like Ar- Arnold really is a great guy if you consider like what he achieved and where he comes from. I mean, it's like uh, that one of those typical stories that usually come from the US. But this dude is yeah. I I, I often talk about Super him, and this cool. is the first time on the podcast. But I like to say that he he got where he is by picking things up and putting them back down again. Yeah. But anyway, guitars, Dan. Guitars. Yeah, guitars. Picking them up and putting them down again. Uh, which guitar would you be picking up on this podcast? Well, maybe a Strat. <laughs> maybe a Strat. Yeah. <laughs> which leads us perfectly to topic number one. Big news. Yay! Big news. Fender announced a change of ownership this week. And uh, so far, I think TPG, the Pacific Group, and uh, Surfco, they were like co-owners at kind of equal levels. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, like they were both decisive when it came to the direction of Fender. And now Surfco basically took over the majority share and uh, now they are in the lead. So we have yet another guitar company owned by people who are interested in money. That is right. I mean, um, I, d- I did some research on, on Surfco and on uh, TPG and those companies, you know, you got to differentiate those are not not companies that that help startup it's not like venture capital where you get, you know get a certain amount of money to get your game rolling it's more those kind of equity capital companies they give money to companies that already are in the business just to get even bigger so mm-hmm. it's like yeah pushing pushing business even even more and and, and trying to to reach growth and uh, substantial growth so, you know, and then realizing economies of scale and basically just, you know, getting bigger shares of the market. And then in turn, they will get their return on the investment, basically. So um, it's not a goodwill or anything. It's basically a, a managerial decision in that case. And that made me wondering sure. what, what could be a reason why Surfco now insists on being like having the leading role with Fender. Because both companies have been very instrumental when it comes to introducing new stuff like Fender Play. Um, they were all very, very... Um, you know, at the top of the game when it came to initiatives to get kids to the guitar, like with smart moves, like, um, you know, combining the digital game with uh, instructional stuff. So, you know, that people can use their devices that they use anyways on a daily basis and, and, and benefit from that mm-hmm. by learning the instrument. And also, I mean, uh, Fender lately has has invested a lot in, in up and coming bands. They've been sponsoring festivals, uh they had like YouTubers um, come over. Um, yeah, I, I think late, I think Fender did a great job lately. I think they are not struggling like other companies with a Big G, for example. Um, so it's interesting to see how, what, what changes will will come now with the change of ownership. I, I think it could be a very very positive thing because if if they continue with what they're doing, is bringing more people uh, to the guitar then it's good for guitar players because they'll need more guitars to sell them to these new guitar players. And also, it's not just about bringing new people, it's about retaining them. And I'm going to get my numbers completely wrong now, but I was watching um, some kind of like a TED talk from Andy Murray. Andy Murray? Have I got the name right? CEO of... That's the tennis player. (laughs) Andy Mooney. Whoops. Mooney, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was trying in my head. I was like, get the name right. Don't say Andy Murray. And then Andy Murray came out of my head. But Andy Murray was not giving a TED talk about Fender. He was probably doing something about strings, but it was different strings entirely. Yeah. Linking back to last week's episode where I talked about my tennis racket guitar. Anyway, mm-hmm. Andy Mooney of Fender was doing a talk in which he was, again, numbers are going to be wrong, but he called the guitar business a $10 billion business, something like that. And then he said that I think 90% of people stop playing guitar in the first year. Mm-hmm. So if they can double the amount of people that continue to play the guitar, then they could realistically or theoretically double the income. <laughs> so ignore those numbers, but just use some examples. Also ignore the names that I just mentioned. All good, all good. I was just, you know, those kind of statistics, they're usually very, very theoretical when it comes to that. Yeah. But it, it makes absolute sense to say that if they're making X amount of dollars from selling guitars to this many people, and then they prolong those guitar players, so they go on to buy, like if someone buys a Squire or some kind of entry level guitar, and they never make it to buying a more expensive guitar, mm-hmm. then there's money being lost there. But if someone buys a Squire and there's actually I really want one of the new Ultras or a professional, then by retaining those people, by giving them Fender play, then Fender are creating more money for themselves by spending money. Mm-hmm. That absolutely makes sense. Yeah. That's a surprise that you've said that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, <laughs> I, totally I think what, I yeah. think what you mean is Fender makes sense, but Andy over here is not is not exactly nailing what he's trying to say. No, 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 no. Andy is nailing it. The only the only concern or the only doubts that I have is like if you read statements from from Andy. Mooney, not Murray, um, nope. who's the CEO of Fender, when he says that, uh, what did he say, that there are no, going to be no changes, it won't affect the makeup of Fender's current management on an operational level, all will remain the same. Um, this is something that I ha- highly doubt. I mean, like you said, there can be positive and negative effects from, from it, and we that's one of the premises of the podcast, to focus on the positive things, mm-hmm. um, but still like being re- realistic, and I can... I cannot believe that that this will hold true over a longer period of time. So they will definitely kind of restructure, maybe lay off some people or whatever. Um, but they might also improve on I don't know, improve on build quality, on lead times, on uh, availability in the market. You never know. So there's definitely some reason behind that, and it will be, it'll be interesting to see what the future will bring. I, as you said, I think Fender are really doing well at the moment. But the models, I'm a big fan of Fender guitars in 2019. And I hope they continue to do something like that in 2020 and, and beyond. Because if the big names are doing well, then it, it trickles down and everybody will do well. Yep. Um, I truly believe that. Yep. Yep. That's the same. I mean, um, you hear you hear the feedback from the market. You hear that uh, PRS had a good year, Ibanez had a very good year, Fender had a good year. Even Gibson is somehow back on track. You know, you can you can think about the people behind the company, what you whatever you want. But uh, we've checked out guitars at NAMM, and the build quality was good. And there's no doubt that if if you're in the market for a Les Paul style guitar, then Gibson is definitely the first address to check. And uh, so yeah. The business in general is kind of doing well at the moment. It's not, it's not a catastrophe. At, no, uh, people are people are taking risks still. People are making bold moves, which means that there's there's money to be made, which means there's more guitars to play. Absolutely, yeah. And you um, know, the press has always stated, or so many times stated, that the guitar is dead, but luckily the market uh, contradicts that at the moment. 
yeah, what do you think listening to this? Uh, is the guitar? Well, no, I'm not going to ask you if the guitar is dead because that's a ridiculous thing to say. But did you did you see any of the models coming out of NAMM? And, and what, what do you think has uh, surfaced this year so far? I'd be interested to know some feedback from the people listening. Let's talk about the, the Larry Carlton from Syra. Well, Syra, that's a big topic. Yeah, well, Syra generally, yeah. That's, we did a little bit of research, uh, a very minute piece of research before pressing record. And um, we found some interesting stuff about Sire. And I know them from Sire Bases. And from Sire Bases, I know them from Marcus Miller Bases, which is a brand that is um, very closely related to Toman, and I, I believe distributed by Toman, mm -hmm. who I work for. And Dan was asking me, what's my experience with them? And the, the initial experience and the whole experience is totally positive. And um, um, Julia, the bass player that works for Tolman, Julia Hofer, she bought one. Um, she wanted a fretless bass, and I said, you, you've got to go and try this one. But not, not this model, but this particular one that was in the shop. Such a great guitar, and I just wish that I could play fretless bass just to own this instrument, because it was, it was just a joy to play. And if they've taken that over to the electric guitars, then we're interested in interesting stuff with the, the H7 models. Mm. I mean, it's, it's anyways interesting to see that... Um a big name like Larry Carton, who who's usually connected with brands like Gibson, mm. is considering working with a company that is building guitars somewhere in Asia. I think it's South Korea, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, and, and basically puts his his name on on the headstock, like like uh, Marcus Miller already did. I mean, that's a bold move. So you got to be very very convinced about mm. the build quality and about the people that are behind that, because at the end of the day, if your name is on the headstock, yeah, it's got to be a long process from from the initial conversation to the actual releasing of a an instrument with your name on it or any product with your name on it. Um, when you're at that level, absolutely, especially because people trust you. I mean, if you're Larry Carton is a, a living legend in in fusion and jazz guitar, and um, seeing him after Marcus Miller seeing him collaborate with a company like Sire definitely shows that they've made some right decisions in the past and, and they're on a good way to become a force in the market and it's good because it will bring about better build quality it will bring about a lot bang for the buck it will bring about more competition and I'm a big fan of competition because this is what usually you know pushes things and, and, and really makes companies rethink what they are doing and how they are doing things and uh, it will be very cool to see so I'm, I'm i'm curious to to check those instruments out because they look quite fine yeah and and business-wise it doesn't only just as you said it doesn't just trickle down like when i was talking about fender it builds those foundations at the bottom end of the financial scale which means that companies like the big f and the big g and ibanez just to throw them in there for you dan um <laughs> you, you have to be careful with with the quality of the instruments you're um providing because if they're not as good as a, as a sire and sires can be bought for 500 euros, 600 euros, then then you're going to be in trouble. So everybody wins is what I'm trying to say. And I have to say, like we talked about the build quality. I mean, I see that every year that the build quality is improving and the prices are not mm. not increasing to the same degree like the build quality does. And I mean, I don't know what the first guitar that you had, like how you would uh, compare it to, to the, the current quality level at a similar price point. Oh, dear. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what you can get now for less than 200 bucks is just breathtaking. And it doesn't matter what, what it's on the headstock, yeah. whether it's uh, Fender, whether it's uh, Epiphone, whether it's uh, Ibanez and Ibanez Geo, whether it's Harley Benton or it really comes down to the personal brand preference and uh, to what you really want to have in, in terms of tone. But the build quality itself, 
like objective from an objective standpoint is just spot on my first guitar was an absolute dog and if i compare that to something in the same price range i have guitars here now that are more uh, cheaper than my first ever guitar yeah. uh, even not even um allowing for for inflation and their their guitars on my wall they're next to my gibsons they're next to my whatever's you know mm -hmm. they're good quality guitars it's almost depressing isn't it well we should never take anything for granted and should be appreciative for uh what there is available to us not just you know in our private life but also when it comes to the choices that we have uh, with our preferred hobby and you know the great assortment of guitars that you can pick from which actually leads me to a very uh quirky but but interesting idea I was the other day. I was talking to one of our guys in the company, and I had the idea. You know the the, the app Tinder, right? Mm -hmm. Tinder. Tinder. Yes. Yeah. I wonder why there is no company so far, at least I don't know about it, that uses a Tinder-esque kind of way of picking instruments for the customers. Like if you say, okay, I'm in the market for Strat guitar, up to one thousand euros, and then you just pick, you know, by the visuals first, you swipe left or right, and then you narrow it down to let's say ten guitars, and then then you test those guitars. Wouldn't that be a cool app? They could call it Stringder. Stringder. Damn. Okay, please please save that uh, URL for us. Right. Okay. I'm just, just yeah. you're Stringder.com. Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. Like, imagine and you're looking. Andy Ferris, <laughs> delete Daniel Getka. There we go. Done. <laughs> that is a really cool idea. I thought you were going to say, like, an app to find other musicians. Well, that would also be a nice idea, yeah. But I was more into, like, picking the guitars because, I mean, we got to be honest. If if you're picking a guitar, the first impulse is always by the visuals, right? Because you're not blind when you're entering a guitar store. Mm -hmm. If you do the complete blind test, that's a totally different story. But I think it's 80, 90% of the first push to, or, or the first, uh, you know, pick. Yeah, it's, it's got to be that initial. It's the same with love and a, and a partner. You know, it's it takes it. Oh, let's get deep. It takes a little a little experience and age to realize that it's not just the looks that are important it's what's inside but like when i do reviews on youtube and people there's a, like an excellent guitar for some stupid amount of money and then someone will complain because they'll say oh it doesn't come in red and i'm like all right i get that but it's an awesome guitar and it's like 200 bucks so yeah we we hear with our eyes yeah as les paul Definitely. famously said so strinder stringer yeah um that's the thing now Okay, guys, you you heard it first on the Guitar Stories podcast. We're going to sell it to all the big guitar retailers. Yeah. Um, I know a few names. so <laughs> Actually, I'm going to Google it. I'm going to type string duh, just to see if it exists as we're on the subject. Okay, it's having an issue. It does not exist. Awesome. All right, just awesome. I'm going to buy it right now. <laughs> because... and by the way, we've been talking about the Sire Artist, um, something that I was not aware at all is that uh, Sunga Young, the, the amazing um, fingerstyle guitar player from South Korea, I guess, mm -hmm. is also a signature artist with Sire. So he's got uh, a range of acoustic guitars around like six, seven, eight hundred euros or 600 pounds that have raving reviews. Um, and if a guy like him is already, you know, trusting in, in a company like Sire, it says something about the company. I wonder if he came before, did he come before Marcus Miller, do you think? I have no clue. But they look great. I mean, solid tone words, nice looks. Yeah, and nice, nicely priced as well. And that's the same story with acoustics. I mean, what you get solid spruce tops nowadays at price points where back in the day you would just get like firewood. Yeah, I'm actually in the market <laughs> for a new, a new acoustic. 
<laughs> it's uh, genuinely that wasn't a, a plug to try and get you you to answer something, but um, I want to get something that's great for recording. I've got some great guitars that are great for live that I don't mind knocking around. Uh, I've got an Epiphone Master built, which is a superb guitar. Um, also a Yamaha Red Label series, but I recorded it recently and it just didn't quite deliver. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There were some overtones and I wasn't very happy with it. Well, that's interesting. What what kind of um, pickup system do you prefer usually for the acoustic? Like under saddle pickups or microphone or magnetic pickups? I like I like the blend and the, the, the Epiphone has a blend of a little microphone inside and a, a piezo. Uh -huh. um, I grew up using the Fishman B something. Is it Fee? It'd be, I can't even remember what I grew up with, but whatever it was, I realized a few years ago that I didn't like it. Um, someone listening to this now is screaming the name of that um, that pickup system. <laughs> or was it the Shadow? Oh my goodness. Shadow? Okay. Uh, whatever it is, it was something I didn't like. And then I moved over to whatever's in the Epiphone and it, it just sounds so good live. It just and and the guy in my band he also has one and they just rock mm -hmm. so but i'm not into that now i'm now looking for the guitar with without a pickup mm -hmm. you know just for recording and it has to be something between finger style and strumming which i know can be two different instruments well we've got a very um, nice uh, white neck <laughs> i've i've played it and i've heard it at the wonderful <laughs> ibanez yeah uh, yeah. it, it's cool. I mean, with with the modern fingerstyle movement currently going on, it's great to see that uh, manufacturers are also like picking up those modern trends. So, for yeah. instance, to make a little bit like this is the commercial break at that point. Uh, for example, with, <laughs> with Ibanez, we've got uh, the AE line is completely revamped for 2020. And we've got features on it like jumbo frets, glow in the dark inlays, uh, two different pickups, like a very small, and very thin magnetic pickup combined with a T-bar undersettle pickup. So you can blend in both signals and you can either use it in stereo and mono mode. And stuff like this is just amazing. I mean, there are other companies that uh, that have uh, similar specs or, you know, are able to also deliver that stuff. But uh, players like Toby Rauscher and uh, Marcin Pachawek, the Polish guy who was just at uh, in the show America's Got Talent, I think he was semi-finalist. Those guys, they are, whoa, they are pushing the envelope of the acoustic game big time. Yeah, I'm just a, a strumming kind of guy that does some faux finger picking, but. Um I'm going to enter, I'm going to be entering uh, as we're still in our commercial break. I'm going to be doing some stuff with Toman soon to record some songs that we're writing, and so I'll have the whole of Toman acoustic department to go and choose one. But I'd love to not choose a Martin Taylor or Gibson. I'd love to find some kind of you know other guitar that records well. That's the only thing it's got to have. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. happy to test anything. If anyone's suggesting anything out there, yeah. And I'll even put an Ibanez on that list because I, I do love the uh, the what's the ones you do that are aged with the thermo treating the thermo aged thermo aged yeah. yeah yeah man I've just got an email it says congratulations your order is complete stringda.com <laughs> is mine for a year <laughs> <laughs> now I've I've invested seven dollars and forty nine cents in this Dan. So I need this business to work. I'm only here to get my money back and more. You know how the guitar business works. Absolutely. Oh, the the ROI will be there. I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> so if you're oh, if you're watching this uh, watching if you're listening to this podcast, if you go to stringda.com, <laughs> you'll find that it's never been bought. 
All right. Actually, um, talking about, uh, you'll be surprised. I was surprised this week. And while that was a smooth transition, wow. um, that Music Man was putting out a couple new models for the amazing Steve Lukather that are equipped with new pickups. And when you say new, you mean not Demazio. Correct, yeah. This says the models are outfitted with newly designed Ernie Ball Music Man high output humbucking pickups. And that is quite interesting because uh, with Steve being a DiMarzio artist and then having like, I think the transition pickups, using the transition pickups lately, um, that's quite interesting that he's now gravitating towards the OEM pickups that Ernie Bolt has. Mm -hmm. Actually, I wasn't even uh, I wasn't even sure that uh, Ernie Ball is still producing pickups on their own because there are a lot of like uh, third-party pickups on, in their guitars. But uh, I mean, if a, if a guy like Steve Lukather is uh, making a change here, that's that's quite a bold statement. Maybe it's the way forward. Maybe keeping things in-house will um, will reduce costs and therefore reduce stuff and, and increase other stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe it's just also they come up with something that just sounds right and, and, and look yeah. just like yeah. it. And let's hope it's that. Yeah, let's hope it was a, a choice because it sounded good. Yeah. However, I mean, it's still cool to see that Ernie Ball is obviously able to produce pickups that uh, you know, that are up the alley for, for Steve and... Uh, that there are sure. now, you know, I'll, I'll, I just gotta, I just gotta try that because I'm, I'm super intrigued to, to compare it with uh, the older pickups. And actually, it's interesting because whenever Luke made a, a, a change in terms of uh, his gear, to me, it, it was uh, improvement acoustically or, or tonally. Yeah? Right. Like when he went from EMG and he went with, uh, with Dimarzio with the passive pickups. I think that was during the period when he also got sober and he was like uh, restructuring his life, to put it that way. Uh, it was it was such a nice transition, like the name of the pickups uh, is uh, that that he really went from a like the active tone basically to those kind of more p passive, more open, more vocal sounding uh, pickups, and uh, I really like those. And the Luke itself is a great guitar. I mean, we've talked about Music Man already several times. It's a great instrument and great looking guitar, very iconic. I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Ernie Ball stuff, and and I'm in love with the Valentine at the moment. Mm. That's a that's a great great guitar. Maybe you got to send an email to your boss and tell him that uh, it's Valentine's Day soon. That that's actually a very good idea. Hmm. Hmm. See, you, you're good at this thing, this this guitar business stuff. <laughs> you try a career in that. Another transition. Speaking of being great in the guitar business, we have an interview coming up with uh, a modern legend. I'm going to call him, and a very very nice guy. Um, it is Mr. Tom Quayle, I believe, Dan. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, at uh, the 42 Gear Street, we had the pleasure to spend some some minutes or uh, also a couple of days with Tom Quayle. And uh, I mean, for those of you who do not really know who he is, um, Tom is a British jazz and fusion guitarist, and he's also an Ivan Signature artist who's got a Ivan Signature guitar, the TQM1, which is a super nice guitar with a monkey pot top. Uh, so it can either look like Chewbacca from Star Wars or it can look like uh, furniture. It's uh, every single guitar is a unique piece that is pretty cool. And um, yeah, Tom is a great guitar player. He's he's got uh, a red legato technique, so he's he can shred his ass off like up and down the neck. But he's also a great improviser. Uh, he's one of the YouTube favorites of so many people, and he's also and this is uh, often overlooked a great 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 instructor. He just released a what he calls, I think, Legato Toolkit. And he spends uh, a lot of time and invests a lot of time to really um, come up with something that is helping out people. And um, yeah, I, I can only encourage every, 
anyone out there to uh, check him out either on YouTube or if you have the chance to see him play live because it's really inspiring. And he's got this quirky tune. He tunes in fours. So uh, even if you see what his fingers are doing, you got to make that uh, transition in your head. I didn't know that. That's why I'm not as good as Tom Quayle. Yeah, you were trying to copy all of his licks, but there was always that one wrong note. And <laughs> that's the reason. Well, I'm going to have to go and, and retune all my guitars. <laughs> and, and then I'll be back next week as a living legend myself. There you go. <laughs> so, well, at least you've got an AZ. Damn. So you already, you already got like the, the basses, the guitar basses laid down. Yeah, I've got that one. Actually, just quickly, I've been thinking about refinishing it. Wow. Okay. Yeah think it but i don't want to take it apart because it's such a great guitar as it is i, I have this worry that if i take it apart i won't get to put it back together as good as it is right now uh-huh. okay I, I kind of the blue is i don't know the blue is taking away the focus from my eyes when i play it's got a flame maple top and you want to refinish it over the blue over the blue so like maybe some sort of nitro finish over that blue so that it would you know wear and and the blue would come through oh fair enough okay I just don't want to have to set fire to it like I do in my other guitars. It's, it deserves more than that. Anyway, um, I think that my children are going to be finished watching Frozen in a moment, which means I've got to get the heck out of this studio. I just want to say to the people that sent us feedback on the first sort of first episode and the prologue, thank you so much for listening. Um, when Dan asked me to join the podcast, we're just doing it for fun and two guys geeking out about guitars and stuff like that. And people are listening and enjoying and even the brands that we've mentioned so far have been in contact with me and said hey that was very nice of you to to say nice things um yeah so to those people send us money <laughs> yeah yeah thanks for for listening to the podcast thanks andy for your time thanks to everyone out there uh yeah we hope you liked this episode if you did uh, leave a rating on itunes because we like stars. Do it now. I've left a rating, just so you know. If you have, if anyone's read it, I've left a rating for my own co-post po- co-podcast. <laughs> or if you're if you're on the on the plane, if you're on the train, if you're I don't know commuting with your coworkers, walk up to them in the streets and say, "Can I borrow your phone for a second? Are you logged into iTunes? Right here I go. Then give it back. It's easy." <laughs> If you're, if you're trying to sleep and you can't quite get to sleep because you think you haven't done everything you need to do with your day, then this is maybe the thing that you've forgotten to do today. All right. Guys, enjoy the Tom Quail interview and uh, talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. We're sitting here with Tom Quail, Ibanez artist and guitarist extraordinaire. Thank you very much. That's very kind. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Tom has a long history with the guitar. So my first question would be, what made you pick up the guitar back in the day? My dad is an amazing guitar player, and throughout my entire life I've heard him play. He sounds like Tommy Emmanuel, basically. Does the fingerstyle thing. And so guitar has always been a part of my life. And when I was about 14, I think I showed an interest in the guitar. Um, and my dad bought me a lime green Marlin Slammer quality instrument. And we stripped <laughs> all the paint off it and made it look natural. It was a nice and reasonably good guitar. And I kind of used it for about a year but didn't really get into it and then I properly got into guitar about 15 and it was all thanks to the influence of my dad basically and I play nothing like my dad but when you hear quality guitar played all day you obviously will display some kind of an interest in it and it kind of shows because my entire family plays guitar but only my dad and I have really gone deep into the whole thing mm-hmm. so yeah it's all thanks to my dad all right and was he the one who showed you the first chords and yeah 
modes. Or I'm sure he was. I don't not modes, but I my dad's not a theory guy, but he knows a lot of chords. Obviously, you know, playing Tommy Emmanuel stuff. But he's, he, he doesn't know the names of things so much, although I hope he doesn't hear that. But, um, but he showed me some basic chords and stuff. And then I was straight into tab books. My dad was great because he bought me, a lot of the guys who are listening to this will probably know Guitar Techniques magazine. And the guitar he bought for me at the time, he would supply Guitar Techniques magazines a little bit later, about a year down the line. And then I would learn from those magazines. So quite quickly, I became self-taught and my dad kind of... Um, he was kind of sidelined for Guitar Techniques magazine, not in a bad way, but um, we play so differently that like a lot of people who try and learn from their dad, we kind of would fight and have kind of conflict in terms of the learning process. I wanted to sound like Steve Vai. He didn't sound like Steve Vai, so I was less interested. But it, again, it's all thanks to him. He is the big influence in me playing guitar in my life, if mm. you like. All right. And what was your first proper guitar that really fit all, you know, what you felt was needed at the time to develop into those kind of shreddy player who was yeah. on book at that time? Yeah, I was I was massively into Steve Vai, Jesse Triani, John Petrucci very quickly. Completely skipped out a blues phase or a rock, well, a little bit of a kind of rock phase. But So I wanted an Ibanez and my dad, um, there was a shop fairly local to us in Leeds called Music Ground, which is quite legendary in the UK. Um, and we saw an Ibanez RG450. And I remember looking at it in the shop as a 15 year old kid and thinking, oh my, the best guitar I've ever seen in my life I must have it and I, we walked out the shop and little did I know my dad had gone back and bought it and put it in the back of the car in a box obviously um, <laughs> and it was a, an RG450 made in Japan and to me this was the best moment of my entire life when this thing was brought out the back of the car and given to me and I was like what is this I, I couldn't understand something so amazing could happen to me and that guitar really changed my life because that was the, the instrument that I spent so many, a crazy number of hours playing Passion and Warfare, The Extremist, Surfing with the Alien, all those albums, mm -hmm. getting the tab books, Guitar Techniques magazine, learning all of these insane songs from basically nothing. And that guitar, for the first probably two years of my guitar life, was the only thing I ever played. And man, did I wear that guitar down. Really did. Do you still own it? No. And I wish with all my heart that I did, I truly do. Because I could buy another RG450 and I could probably buy one fairly easily that was a Japanese one from that time. There's a lot of those black RG450s kicking around, but it wouldn't be the same. Because it would need to be that guitar. And I'll never, I've never, I'm sure it still exists, but who knows where it is, so. I missed that one and I had an RG760 as well. Um, no, it was, a, it was a 570, it was a 570. And it was it was one of the ones, they did these ones with a gravure, I think it called top, which was like a veneer, but it was a little bit thicker. Mm -hmm. And it had gold hardware. And those two guitars basically led me up to jazz college. And I did all of my learning on those two guitars. And the memory I have in my mind, it's just, it's so special with those two. Again, it sounds quite cheesy as an Ibanez artist to go on and on about Ibanez guitars, but they really did form a, well, they changed the direction of my entire life, basically, mm -hmm. and have changed my mindset as a guitar player. They formed in the entire sound and feel I have as a guitarist. So, for better or worse, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, bit, bit, I really miss them. I really do. Were, were those the only two like uh, guitar sales that you regret? Are there any like? No, I've got loads. Loads, okay. <laughs> there... Yeah, loads. I mean, I I also sold. Um, I mean, not just Ibanez guitars. I've sold loads. I had a a Gibson 175 that I bought with my student loan when I started jazz college. That was a beautiful guitar that I sold for 900 pounds to pay rent. 
I've had all sorts of gear. I sold an RG, uh, sorry, an S uh, 2075FW, which was an Ibanez. It was a beautiful guitar. I was having some problems with my hands at the time and bought that guitar. I, I was playing an, an Ibanez AS80 from the 80s, which was a gorgeous guitar, and sold that as well. And I sold that to fund the S2075FW because it was an easier guitar to play. And that is the guitar that was responsible for me playing Legato. Because before that I was trying to sound like Pat Metheny. And I got the 2075FW and totally changed my technique because of my I was having some problems with my hands and my neck at the time. And um, yeah, that guitar again, why did I sell it? I just... I, again, and now I trawl eBay looking for these instruments, and you can find them fairly regularly. Actually, the 2075 FW is very hard to find. You can only find them in Japan, but if I find the right one, I'll probably buy it. And I recently bought, again, it sounds like an Ibanez advert, but Ibanez have just been a, a big part of my, uh, the biggest part of my life. I've played them almost my entire career, just with a few few years playing other guitars. Mm -hmm. um, and I found an S1070, which basically was a very similar looking guitar, so that's kind of filled that void for now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But one day I'll fill the proper 2075 FW. Ibanez names are always a mouthful, <laughs> so I'll fill that void at some point. Yeah. Well, the, the desire for new guitars basically never ends, so what else is on your wish list? Where, where you say, well, this is an instrument that I always wanted to have when I was a kid, or yep. that you just saw in the catalogue and you think, well, that's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple, actually. One that I will own one day is a JPM one. Probably the pink one, we'll see. P2, okay. The P2. Just because John Petrucci was my absolute... He, he was like, the way I describe it to people is he was like a Marvel superhero to me. And kind of still is in a weird way, even though I've met him a few times and we've kind of hung out and chatted and stuff. And, you know, I've seen he's a real person. He's not a figment of my imagination. But he still seems like a Marvel superhero to me. He's like, I don't know, he's like Iron Man of the guitar. So... I would love to own one of those guitars, and I would also love... There was one, another another Ibanez, actually. I think it was called the 2020 X or something. It had piezo uh, mm -hmm. output as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was a very high-end RG yep. that came out in the early 2000s, I think it was. And that was a guitar I fell in love with. You don't see them very often. Super rare. Yep. Super rare, but an amazing, amazing guitar. And again, sounds like an Ibanez advert, but I'm an Ibanez guy through and through. There's nothing I can do about it. It's a disease that I have. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love one of those as well. And I really, really, really want a very, very nice vintage 335 as well. It's just one of those guitars that I've always clicked with. It just, mm -hmm. I have an AS103, which is sufficing for now. It's an amazing guitar. But to have a real old school, you know, played in 335 mm -hmm. would be amazing. It's a unique sound. You can't get any other way. So, yeah. There's loads, there's loads, but we'll stop there for now. <laughs> <laughs> well, fast forwarding to 20, late 2017, early 2018, you became an Ibanez artist, but uh, you did not pick up an RG model as a signature guitar. Instead, you went for an AZ. Mm. What, what kind of made that transition for you from an artist standpoint? Because, you know, the model has different specs and it's, it's, less, uh, it's a less a shred guitar yeah. and more a modern kind of... S-type guitar with a little bit of a vintage feature. So um, can you describe the transition as well? Yeah, one of the things that doing a jazz degree or just studying music to a very, if you like, obsessive level teaches you is a lot more about how you interact with the instrument in terms of a touch and tone and, and listening for the way an instrument sounds and responds to your playing, which up to that point is nothing I'd, I'd never thought about that before because everybody knows that RGs are like supercars. They're basically 0 to 60 in half a second and 
there's no subtlety to them at all um, which is a good thing it's supposed to be that way and you know at, at that point in my life things like Ibanez guitars Charvel's um, you know Jackson's and ESP's were all that's what a guitar was in my mind and then doing the jazz degree I played old Gibsons I played lots of vintage Fenders and stuff like that and and then that lended a subtlety to, to the sound I heard in my head um, I was playing music that you was was objectively slightly prettier if you like and you had I was playing a lot of a lot of music with very clean tones there was no shredding involved or any of that stuff so it brought a different sa- sound and aesthetic into my playing and those two things are combined really nicely in the AZ um, and in a lot of those kind of guitars what people might call a more modern superstrat which people think of like a Charvel as a superstrat but this is a more modern superstrat with a wider tonal palette and the first thing that really attracted me to that guitar was the neck because it's a much more grown-up neck if you like it's not super skinny it's the radius is not super flat it's not like an infinite or 16 or 20 inch radius I think it's a 12 inch radius that's on that guitar and so that slightly more subtle slightly more considered aesthetic that I have in I feel I have in my playing now compared to back then anyway mm-hmm. um, really suits the instrument and that comes through again in the in the pickups and the, the the versatility of the instrument it covers such a wide range of bases which the RGs don't and as much as I don't want to admit it whilst I love RGs and always will and I have plans to collect them we talked about guitars I want to own I mean I want to own a whole load of RGs um, including J Customs and the Works. But there is something about turning up to do a, a show or a clinic or, or just playing with other people. The whole aesthetic of the AZ fits me much better than RG does, and I would feel a little bit like if I went out with an RG that I was compromising something of myself musically and arti- from an artistic point of view, because although the guitars are amazing and they're gorgeous, they do have a, a, an aesthetic and a kind of sound that suits a particular style of playing. Mm-hmm which I still have in my, my, my bag of things that I do, but it's not truly who I am. And the AZ fits more of who I am as a, as a musician and as a player and as an artist now. So it kind of gelled better with me as a musician, right, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And the TQM has a very, let's say, special feature, which is uh, the top word mm. that you chose. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? <laughs> yeah, so when the guys from Ibanez came to my house, they brought... Um, a prototype and some, some. the cool thing about Ibanez is they do mock-ups of the guitar so you can get a really good idea of what they're going to look like before they arrive because one of the things having ordered lots of custom guitars in my life which basically a signature guitar is a little bit like ordering a custom in that you, you spec out what you think is going to work and then a, a model arrives and you go oh oh that's what it's going to look like when, it, when, when all the specs that I've chosen arrive um, and it can be a little bit of a shock but the cool thing with Ibanez as I say is that they can mock-up 3D images, well not 3D, but images of the guitar with all the specs on. So when they showed me the monkey pod, I it really appealed to me because I wanted a very natural looking grown up guitar. Not I'd had so many guitars over the last sort of 10 years with flame tops and quilt tops and crazy woods, porno guitars if you like, if I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, you know, and this just looked a lot more, what was I, 37 when we were specking this guitar and my daughter had just been born and so on and so forth and I felt like it was a new period in my life and this kind of just fitted more. I still feel like that with that guitar now, it's just a classy looking instrument and that's kind of what I wanted. And the cool thing is they're all very unique as well. From guitar to guitar to guitar, I've seen so many, so much variation with those guitars that everybody's gone out and bought one, thank you first of all, but everyone who's gone out and bought one has got a very unique looking guitar which is very cool. 
um, you know, you can feel like you own this unique looking instrument. So I thought it was really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Cool. Talking about the guitar stories and uh, everything that's behind it, what was the feeling like when, when Ibanez approached you and asked you whether you'd become an artist or not? I mean, what was what was your your thoughts about that? I mean, could you could you believe that, or was that something that that had to grow on you? Uh, both, actually, because when the funny thing was, the idea of a signature guitar arrived via email, which which was interesting. <laughs> so I just, which, which is really weird, because when an email arrives, obviously you've got to click on it and then slowly read through it, mm -hmm. and then you read through it again because you can't, you think. No, that can't. What I just read cannot be happening. And suddenly, this realization dawns on you quite slow. Well, I said suddenly, it dawns on you very slowly that what you're reading is actually correct. And so, I'm reading on this email that not only do they want me to be an artist, they want to build me a signature guitar. And this is one of those situations where, you know, people talk about dreams coming true and it sounds quite cheesy, but this was a literal realization of a dream of, from when I was 15, 16. That I never, ever even considered would come true. Mm -hmm. Literally didn't even consider it. I never, I never even contemplated it because it seemed too ridiculous for, for me to have an Ibanez signature guitar. I'm sure some people still think it is. Um, but it's just an incredible, incredible thing. So e even to this day, if I think about it too hard, um, it's a little bit like, the only way I can describe it, and this might be a bit strange, but if you, if you sort of on a starry night look up at the sky and you start thinking too hard about how many stars there are up there, your brain can't quite handle it. And it's a little bit like if I think too hard about the fact that I have an Ibanez signature guitar and I'm looking at the guitar, it's quite hard to process. Yeah. So it's, quite a, it's an incredible, strange feeling at the same time. And an incredible honour, obviously. I mean, that again sounds cheesy, but it just is. I mean... I couldn't ask for anything more incredible to happen to me. A literal dream coming true is amazing, so, yeah. All right. Then um, what's next on the, on the agenda for Tom Quayle? Is there anything, that, any plans for the rest of 2019, 2020 that you can share already? So, yeah, there's some cool stuff happening in 2020. 2019, there's, there's a few things happening bubbling under the surface, but for 2020, there's a few cool things booked in. And uh, actually, another kind of dream coming true if you like because uh, John Petrucci's booked me to, to teach at his summer camp next year in California so I'm going to be going over there and um, jamming with the legend himself maybe he'll give me a JPM one if he's got one kicking around who knows <laughs> we'll see <laughs> try and persuade him um, so that that's happening in 2020 I've been booked for the Larvik Guitar Festival as well um, and I'm sure I'll be back in North Carolina doing some stuff as well next year playing at the guitar some guitar festivals um, We've got plans, Martin Miller and I have got plans to do a um, summer camp as well. We're possibly going to announce some plans for that fairly soon, so we'll see. Um, and lots more content coming out as well in terms of some more lesson content um, for Lick Library and for myself. I keep saying I'm going to release that solo album, so we'll see how that goes too. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, we're all going to keep our eyes peeled for exactly. all the new stuff from Tom Quayle. Thank cool. you very much. Thank you. And, uh, well, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much.